John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Quickly add a challenge to my sermon now after that big call. I'm just kidding. I do feel more complaints uh, about Jeff than anyone else, so just keep those coming. Keep those coming. Uh, good to be with you all here today. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, I was out last week at a wedding, and it's good to be back with y'all this week. Not my wedding, someone else's wedding. Eric and I are already married. Uh, so I just want to start off with this new sermon series that we're in for the next six weeks uh, that will take us to Advent, which is coming up super fast, uh, too fast, one could say. Uh, but we're going to be spending the next weeks in this small book in the Old Testament uh, of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're in the book of Jonah, which is in the Minor Prophets in the back half of the Old Testament. And so when you think of the book of Jonah, what comes to your mind? Like if you had to say, what is the book of Jonah about? What immediately comes to your mind? And this is a, not a hypothetical situation. A whale. Awesome. Just the whale. Right? And I think that's kind of the whole point is that when we, when we think about the book of Jonah, we think it's just this book about this guy who disobeyed God, got swallowed up by the whale, and then three days later, the whale spit Jonah back out. I mean, that's probably the version of the story that we were told when we were kids, is that the book of Jonah is all about the whale, right? But when you look at the text of Jonah, the whale only takes up maybe three verses of the whole book of Jonah. But yet, we seem to have this image in our mind of Jonah being just about the whale. It's what I like to call the, uh, I've mentioned this before, the vegetalification of Scripture, right? That we grow up with these sort of veggie tales, watered down, sanitized uh, versions of the biblical stories. And then when we grow up, that's sort of the image that we have in mind of what those stories are like is that sort of veggie tailified version of the event. I mean, even the book of Jonah has a whole veggie tale movie based on the book of Jonah. It's a banger of a movie, but it's still just a movie version, a veggie-talified version of the book of Jonah. So this series, we're going to be kind of re-looking at this old childhood story of Jonah and the whale and look at what is it teaching us about who we are and who we are as the people of God and the character of God. And there's so much richness in the book of Jonah. But today we're going to be looking just at the first three verses, kind of setting up the book of Jonah, who Jonah is, the context of the book of Jonah and what he does initially. So we're in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Charshish to flee from the Lord. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. So we're going to spend the first little bit looking at who who is Jonah, right? Who is the prophet Jonah? The book of Jonah is unique in uh, all the other books of prophecy because it's not uh, like prophetic words from the Lord that we get like with most of the prophetic books. It's, it's a narrative about this one moment in the life of the prophet of Jonah. And we know Jonah the prophet because he's referenced elsewhere in Scripture. And so we're going to look at that reference of Jonah earlier in the biblical text. This is in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Or I'll start at 23, but that's not up on the screen. In the fifteenth year of Amazai, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king over Samaria, and he reigned for forty-one years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which, had caused, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of God, the God of Israel spoke through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. And so we see here in this biblical narrative in, within the context of Israel's history. So this is in the northern kingdom of Israel, right after Solomon, the two kingdoms split. You have the, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south and the lineage of King David. And then in the north, you have the other ten tribes of Israel. And so Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's uh, in the kingdom of Israel during the time of Jeroboam II, who was a bad king in the sense that he did morally wrong things, but also if you look at uh, what he did for Israel, he expanded their borders, and it was a semi-prosperous time even in the midst of this king committing sins. And so Jonah is a prophet to the king of Israel during this time. And so what that most likely means is Jonah was a court official for Jeroboam II. He lived in the city of Jerusalem, most likely. He prophesied regularly to the king. When the king wanted advice on something, they would consult the prophets and be like, what does the Lord have to say about that? And it was hit or miss in the biblical narrative whether they would actually listen to the prophet or not. But Jonah was in this place of power. He was in this position of authority, and he was most likely in a position of influence and wealth and all these good things that come along with being in a high place of power. And so you have this guy, Jonah, who has everything going great for his life, everything he could ever want. You could say that he's living the American dream. He has money, he has power, he has influence, and he's living in a great city. And then, in the middle of that context, does the Lord say, Jonah... It's time for you to leave where you are and go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is one of those biblical places that I think we like maybe know about. We know it as the bad place that God sent Jonah to, but I don't think we really know how bad of a place Nineveh was. We see Nineveh referenced throughout the Bible, but it's never in a good way. When you read uh, the prophecies throughout the the 
major and minor prophets, you'll see that oftentimes there will be a prophecy against the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh in that day and age was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. In fact, if you look at the book of Nahum, which comes shortly after Jonah, it is three chapters of just prophecy against the city of Nineveh and how God's judgment is going to fall on the city of Nineveh for all the evil that they've done. Because Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was sort of the big, bad, evil empire of its day and age. So think of like Star Wars, right? The evil empire. That was sort of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire at this time. And Assyria in particular was a very brutal and violent empire. And they would routinely go and conquer different areas surrounding them. Surrounding them, It was in uh, the area of Iran, if you can kind of picture that in your Middle East geography that you have in your head. And it was ultimately the empire that destroyed Israel, the northern kingdom. And so Jonah's prophesying uh, in the northern kingdom, and it would be the Assyrian empire that eventually comes and destroys Israel. And the Assyrians were known for their brutality in particular, and their violence in warfare. And they would often employ uh, what we know today as psychological warfare against their enemies. Because what they would do is they would go and conquer cities, and the way that you would conquer a walled city is you would besiege it, so you would surround it and basically starve the people out until they surrendered. And the Assyrian Empire was like, you know, that takes a really, really long time, and we don't want to do that. So what they would do is they would go to a city, and they would say, look, you can either surrender, you can either surrender or we're going to besiege you, conquer you, and basically destroy your city. And if the city resisted, what they would do is they would go to a smaller city nearby, kill everyone in the city, take their bodies, parade them to the city gates of the fortified city, and say, this is what we're going to do to all of you unless you surrender. And if they still resisted, what they would do is they would make an example of the people who resisted. It was a brutal empire, an evil empire. They would salt the fields of their enemies. They would wipe cities off the face of the map. And so imagine you're Jonah, right? You're in a good place. You're in a place of comfort, of safety, of wealth, and power. And God comes to you and says, Go to the city of Nineveh. And preach against it. Reads a bit differently, doesn't it? Jonah's response makes a bit more sense when we understand where he was and where God was calling him. Let's just read it again real quick since it's short. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I mean, when we think about it in this context and how brutal the place Nineveh was and how brutal the Assyrian Empire was and the nice, lavish life Jonah was living, his response seems entirely reasonable, doesn't it? No, God, 
I'm not going to go to Nineveh. In fact, I'm going to go the most opposite direction to Nineveh that I, caught, that I possibly can. It would be sort of the equivalent of being told to go to Berlin, Germany in 1944 and preach against the Nazis. We're being told to go to the ISIS headquarters in 2006 and preach against them. Right? If we heard that call in our lives, we would be like, absolutely not. That is not something that I'm going to do. And in fact, maybe we would do the same thing Jonah would do and flee in the opposite direction. So he goes to Tarshish. He goes to Spain, which if you know geography, Spain and the Middle East are pretty far away from one another. And this change is most likely not a, a temporary vacation until God kind of forgets, but this is a, a permanent change. He's moving to Tarshish. Most likely he sold his house, he sold everything that he had so that he could buy the ship to sail to Tarshish. He's going to start a new life for himself in this faraway place. That's how badly he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He flees from the Lord, as Scripture says. And so as we read this opening part of the story of Jonah, what does this say about us, right? When we read Scripture, we're not just gleaning facts about God, but the, the Word of God reads us and reveals things within us that the Lord wants to bring out. And so here's what I think the opening chapter of Jonah, or the opening verses of Jonah reveals to us. is that Jonah's response reveals our human tendency to run from hard things. Jonah's response reveals our human tendency to run from hard things. And I think it's especially true when it comes to the things of God. That we, we hear this call of God in our life to do something difficult. God's call to Jonah was, go to the city of your enemies. Go to the city of the people who hate you. Go to the city of the people who want to kill you. Go to the city of the people who are known for their brutality. And not just go to that city, but preach that God is angry with them. And preach that God's, that their wickedness has come before the eyes of the Lord. To go and give that message to that city, that's a hard thing for the Lord to ask of his prophet. And God's call on our lives is sometimes similarly hard. Go and forgive the person who hurt you the most. Go and love your enemy. Go and do this ministry that I'm calling you to start, but it's completely outside of your comfort zone. Go and fill in the blank of whatever it is, that hard thing that God calls you to do. I'm sure that the Spirit is lifting up something in your mind now of what that thing is. That when these hard things are asked of us by God, we have a tendency to run like Jonah did. We have a tendency to flee, to get away as quickly as we can from the Lord, to get as far as humanly possible because we don't want to do the thing that God has asked us to do. And the reason, the reason that we run is because of our heart. That's what we'll see as a common theme throughout the book of Jonah is the, the hardness of Jonah's heart stays throughout the whole book of Jonah. We see that Jonah hates the city of Nineveh. He hates 
those people. Not only does he hate them, but he's afraid of those people, right? We all have those people in our lives that when we think about them, we either have fear or disgust that kind of wells up in our hearts. Who are some of those people in our lives? Maybe they went to the University of Texas, and it's those people. Maybe they're people that are in the opposite political party as us. Maybe it's people that are felons and we think uh, don't deserve second chances. Maybe it's someone of the opposite race or someone who is from a different country or has different beliefs than us, that we have those people in our hearts. And this hatred, this this call on God, this call on Jonah's life to go to those people, to go and minister to those people, prompts him to run away from God. And when we read the story of Jonah, and we had something similar happen to us, and we would have sim like if Jonah was a modern day prophet, and God called him to go, let's just say, to Israel right now. We would say Jonah's response is entirely justified to say, no, he shouldn't do that. That we look at Jonah's life and situation and his response is entirely reasonable. His response is entirely justified to run away. That he has this fear of what would happen. Fear of the Assyrians, right? They had this reputation of being a mean, evil, brutal people. And so it's reasonable for Jonah to be afraid and run away. And I think this, what we deem as this reasonable fear, these reasonable fear, this reasonable hate, prevents us from following the call of God on our lives so many times. That what we deem as reasonable excuses often prevents us from stepping into the very places that God is calling for us to step into. And so as we look at this passage and we look at where God is calling us and how this reveals the state of our heart that we're often just like Jonah, aren't we? We're just like the one who wants to run away. We're just like the one who wants to go and ignore the calling of God on our lives. What does this tell us about the heart of God, right? Because scripture tells us and shows us who God's character is. We see that God is calling us to always be more like him. God is always calling us to be more like him. God is always inviting us deeper, right? You have Jonah who's prophesied about what God is going to do for his people Israel to the king of Jeroboam. He's prophesied to the kings of Israel. He's told them about the good things that God is going to do. And he's in this place of position and influence, and God is inviting the prophet deeper. Don't just prophesy to the people of Israel. Go and prophesy to the enemies of Israel. That God's heart is to draw us deeper into himself, to make us more like him. He says to Jonah, go and be my envoy. Go and be my ambassador. Go and be the one who will speak for me to these people who need to hear a word from the Lord. Do we have a similar calling on our lives? To go and be a people to speak a word from the Lord to a people who are walking in darkness? Do we have a heart like Jonah that when we hear this call in our lives to push us out of our comfort zone, to push us into areas we didn't maybe want to go, do we have Jonah's response 
to run away from the Lord or do we respond in obedience and say, yes, Lord, send me like the prophet Isaiah? That the heart of God extends beyond the boundaries of those that we deem acceptable to receive a message like this. It challenges our preconceived notions about the boundless grace of God. It asks us that uh, God's love and heart is for all people, not just some people. That God's heart is especially for those people that we deem outside the grace of God. When God asks us to do hard things, do we believe that it's not just for our own good, but it's for the good of those he is calling us to minister to as well? I'm going to invite uh, the band back up. We have a bit of time, so we'll just have an extended response time. Caitlin, you may have to ad-lib musically. I think we have a bit of, bit more time than I thought. Um. I really think the Lord wants us to be in a posture of surrender today. You know, it's so easy to do what Jonah does. The difference between Jonah and us, as we'll find out in the next few weeks, uh, God's not going to send a whale to swallow us up and spit us out where he wants us to be. But what we'll find is that the call of God in our lives is always, always, always tugging on our hearts. You know, there's a number of pastors that I know who are what we call second career pastors. In other words, they uh, did a, like a, a normal job for a few years, and then they, they went into ministry as their second career. And what's interesting is every single second career pastor I talk to, they always say, you know, I felt the call of God on my life when I was younger, and I ran from it, ignored it, until God just wouldn't let me go, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. Because that's what the Lord does in our lives, as he doesn't let us go. When he calls us to do something, it's not this sort of fleeting calling. It's this sort of grabbing a hold of our shirt and no matter how far we run away, the Lord is always grabbing us by our shirt, inviting us to go to where he wants us to go. So as we look at the future of our church and we look at where God is calling us to go, I think the Lord wants us to be willing to go to Nineveh, to be willing to go to the places that he calls us to go. And that means surrendering, means surrendering our fear, surrendering our worry, Surrendering even our reputation, what will people think about the great prophet Jonah when he goes to those wicked Ninevites? What are we willing to surrender? What is God pricking your heart today? I'd just like you to bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord for a time of prayer. Lord, come Holy Spirit. Lord, you have good things in store for this church. You have good things in store for these people. But Lord, if we want new wine, we have to give up the old wineskins. Lord, if we want the new, we have to get rid of the old. So Jesus, we just ask that you might come and meet us here today. Lord, come and place callings on our lives Lord, revive callings that we have tamped down and ignored. 
Lord, soften our hearts of stone. Lord, help us to hear the joy of your calling. Your call is an invitation, a loving beckoning, not an angry come here grouch of an angry father, but it's the loving invite of a gentle father. If you want to just kind of picture yourself with Jesus right now, I think the Lord's just asking him, uh, asking many people in this place to just kind of surrender something to him, whether that's uh, fear, anger, jealousy, um, lack of confidence and self-worth, heartache, at these things that we're holding on to. I think the challenge Jesus is inviting us to step into is do we want more? Do we want more for our church? Do we want more for our community? Do we desire to see God move in ways that we've never seen him move before? Lord, just come and meet us here today. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, continue in this posture of prayer. Continue in this uh, heart of surrender. Um, Emily and Erica, y'all are here. So would y'all mind praying with people up at the front, if that's okay? I'm putting y'all on the spot. Uh, if you want, and Lanny too as well. Um, if you want someone to pray with, we do have prayer partners up here at the front or just come to the altar. Um, you know, the worst thing that you could do when the Lord pricks your heart is to tamp it down. Thank so you what I would just encourage y'all to do is we hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.